You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. A wise man once said, if you want to make the hockey gods laugh, tell them your plans. This was supposed to be our draft preview episode, folks, but that has now been blown to oblivion. This is Caro. How are you tonight, Vardy? Uh, I'm way okay with it being blown into oblivion. I don't Obviously. Know about you. <laughs> no, I'm very okay with it. In fact, I was... I was doing the research for the draft and I was like, God, I really don't want to be doing this. We're picking 19th overall. Like you're essentially just like, I don't even know what you're doing. You're you're reading scouting reports and you're like, Oh, this player is a good passer. So I like him. When you get down to that, to those numbers, you really don't know what the hell is going to happen. And there really, I feel like isn't enough literature or video on these players for you to even make an educated guess. So I'm relieved. Honestly, I'm pretty relieved. Because <laughs> I, I, like, I was like, dude, I'm just going to have to sit there and like bullshit. Like I really want some player yeah, at like number 19. Amped up for Rutger McDorty. Or, or yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or the big Russian kid, Ivan. Like, I was just like, <laughs> you know, I'm happy. I'm happy with what has transpired today. Um, what has transpired today is a insanely significant move and the first, I guess, shot across the bow in the NHL in terms of trades. Everyone who's listening to this knows by, by now, but we'll tell you anyway, the LA Kings acquired the rights of Kevin Fiala from the Minnesota Wild for the 19th overall pick and the rights to Brock Faber. The Kings had already... Uh, been negotiating with Fiala, so minutes later they announced that they signed Fiala to a seven-year deal at seven point nine million dollars a year. Oh, is that a happy sigh? Is that like a yes, yes? Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say it's a happy sigh. Okay. I think I think the problem today is that I, of course, of all days, I was not in front of my computer where I normally work. Um, I was actually in office in a meeting. And all I felt in my pocket was a thousand vibrations going. I was like, something's happening. No one texts me this much. My Twitter notifications are never this insane. And and like right in the middle of the meeting, I actually like made the mistake of glancing at my phone. And one of the notifications was from The Athletic that says Kings acquire Fiala. And it was the worst thing I could do because for the remainder of that meeting, I was used 45 minutes for the rest of the time. I was like, all I could think about was hockey. They probably asked me questions. I might not have a job tomorrow. I don't know. You should have, you should have gone with like some solid canned remarks. Like let me marinate on that. Or uh, let's circle back to that. (laughs) Can we put a pin in that? You know, just, just good, good zoom meeting blurbs that you can throw out that no one knows you're not really paying attention yeah i might have said like sorry i was muted even though it was not a zoom meeting <laughs> it's a good one <laughs> even though it wasn't a zoom you're, you're live <laughs> oh man uh, but yeah i feel i mean i feel good about it obviously it's not every day you could get a player of that caliber of that age of that fit really can i can i ask a hypothetical question sure I love those. Okay. Hypothetically, who had you landed on the Kings 
hypothetically taking at 19. I'm just, just, just for funsies. Did you even get a name that you wanted at 19? Yes. You never know. They might, they might trade back into the first round and all of a sudden it's relevant again. You don't know these things. The player I'd landed on was Jimmy Snuggerud. Hmm. Great name. Uh, Golden Gopher. Good sniper. Good player. I watched his scouting reports. I watched a lot of his clips. Seemed like a good goal scorer. Um, but there were a chunk of guys in that area where, you know, it, it could have gone, I think, from like 15 to 25. Mm-hmm. There were players there where you're like, yeah, like, this would work. Man, I've seen, honestly, like, and again, I realize that the bulk of this episode is going to be spent talking about Fiala. But I'm, I'm going to just spend five minutes only because I love the draft so much. Sure, even we if do we're love not the necessarily draft. part of it. But... For all intents and purposes, not a lot of superstar talent in this one. Not a deep draft. A lot of a lot of the projections that I'm seeing are like middle six for for even all these all these first round guys past like the top four picks, you know. And it's kind of fun because all of these mock drafts I've been seeing are like after the the top four guys, maybe you know, some combination, some order of. Uraj uh, Slavkovsky and and Shane Wright and Simon Nemich and, and Logan Cooley, it all just kind of goes completely haywire. The same guy I see on five on one is like twenty five on another one. It's and I love drafts like that. I love them because they are just absolutely wild and a lot of fun to watch. That being said, the, the, I, I had I had two guys in my head. One that I I really wanted the Kings to potentially take around that area and then one that they likely would have ended up taking um i think if he was still around at that time i think probably rector mcgordy would probably be the one that i think the kings would take just because he he fits that bill of of just you know okay if i tell you a name like rutger mcgordy what type of player does that sound like he's going to be he's exactly that kind of player everything about this guy's scouting scouting report is basically like this guy's name is Rutger McGorty. That's all you need to know. He's exactly that kind of guy. Okay? Very Brendan Lemieux-ish, so to speak. So, so that's kind of who I thought they were going to take. Who I wanted them to take was actually uh, Danila Yurov. And I knew there's no way they would do it. But, man, how much fun would that be? Red flags everywhere. <laughs> Crazy, uninhibited offense. Boom or bust. Just, I love it. That's exactly the kind of pick they should have been making at 19 in a in a weak draft, weak yeah. draft with not a lot of scouting because of COVID and all that stuff. That was that's kind of where I was, where my head was at. And you never know; he might even he might even drop to the second round. I've honestly seen him in the second round at some yeah some some rankings. So some crazy stuff might still happen. No, a player like that with so many red flags and has has that boom or bust potential. Draft day, they can slip quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that several times. I mean, some people had Arthur Kelly as a first-round lock. And Cole he, Caulfield, man. Cole, Cole Caulfield's Caulfield. another one. That How many teams been, are kicking themselves right now? At least a handful. But the good news for us draft fans is that the Kings will still be going to the – well, I was going to say going to the podium, but most of these they'll be sitting at a table and announcing yeah. their picks in rounds uh, two, three, four, five, and 6. They don't have a 7th. And they don't have a first. They have Pittsburgh's third. So 
I can't think of a better time just with everything we just talked about this draft with so much uh, volatility in it, a better time to move your first overall pick and take a kind of a big totally. swing at a player. I can't, it was the time, man. And it's funny because as fans, we sometimes, when we're looking at players that we we'd like to see in the Kings uniform, it's always the bigger names. It's always the sexy players. And it's always the Dipper and Cat Pasternak conversations. I don't think we brought up Fiala once in our last episode. I'm going to be completely like honest here. We didn't bring him up, but after that episode, I went and I kind of started looking at our, all the RFAs and he was, he was right up. Like he was third rung after those two guys in my mind. I agree. It, I, we didn't bring him up, but even before the episode, the name, because there was no smoke. There was really no, like his name wasn't really being coming up at all. And it should have been for the exact same reasons. In hindsight, it, it was clear that the wild were going to move him. Yeah. Um, but we don't intimately know the wildcap situation, but obviously with those two, what do they have? 14 million per year in dead money. Mm -hmm. So that they have 14 million in Parisi Suter dead money on their cap for the next three years. Right. So they're working on a totally different salary cap than the rest of the NHL, or at least teams that don't have an internal cap. So if they wanted to keep Fiala, they essentially had to trade like three other guys and if you're gonna subtract from your team you're gonna have to bite the bullet and subtract one guy instead of potentially multiple guys and that's exactly what minnesota did um elliot friedman had said that i think two days ago that it was new jersey and ottawa were really looking at fiala kings weren't even mentioned till today it it Mm -hmm. was kind of out of nowhere i mean but apparently it wasn't. But right, apparently it wasn't. But it was out of nowhere in terms of what was being reported out there. I think there have been maybe rumblings of like, oh, keep an eye on LA, or like, mm-hmm. you know, these kind of like periphery comments about the Kings, just because everyone knew the Kings were looking to add, specifically to their top six, specifically on the left side. So I don't think it was, you know, even those reports. I don't think they were based in anything outside of speculation mm-hmm. until today, where you know the fuse was lit and within like seriously man that, I, I felt like that went so fast because i i just like you were in a meeting i uh i i couldn't access my phone for like 45 minutes and i couldn't even look like and i i looked just before i went in and there was nothing there was like absolute nothingness and then in that 45 minutes or so everything happened and I had looked actually at the at the wild cap situation uh, again shortly after our last episode, but for whatever reason in my head, I just figured they would probably. What I had been hearing is that they would more likely try to move a guy like Dumba, who had one year left at six million on his contract. He's got a modified no trade. That to me was like, oh, this is how they're going to free up the money, you know. And I, I didn't think they'd want to move Fiala. I, I figured it would be it would make more sense for them because they've got like. 12 defensemen that they would probably try to move someone else. But then if you think about where their depth is, they've got Matt Boldy, they've got Marco Rossi, they've clearly got, you know, Zuccarello, Kaprizov, Erickson, Eck. I mean, they've got their forwards humming along. So I guess in their mind, they felt like they were a little bit stronger in the forward category. And who knows, maybe they, maybe they do still end up moving Dumba. I don't know what their plan is, but I guess that's kind of why I didn't really 
linger on the idea of Fiala too much. I just figured amongst the options of who they would move, Dumba was a more palatable one, or apparently not. Never underestimate the love Minnesota has for Minnesota players. Mm. And, and I think Brock Faber probably at the end of the day was a little too tempting. Yeah, Fiala's coming off an 85-point season, 33 goals. His shooting percentage was 12.6, but his shooting percentage at even strength was 11, which which would be tops on, on the Kings. You know, he'll give a boost on the power play, not a big power play producer per se, uh, but very skilled, very dangerous, fast guy. I, I did the thing again. I watched all his goals. I watched all his goals from last season um, a variety of ways this guy can score. And I think that was the thing I was most impressed with. Like he could score from in front of the net. He takes punishment. He'll go to the dirty areas, all these other goal scorer cliches. But he also, he could shoot on the power play specifically. He could shoot from the outside. He could score. Um, his speed allows him to take defensemen wide one-on-one, go to the net. Good finisher, man. Good set of hands. So that's what we're getting. That's what the Kings are getting anyway. Uh, in Kevin Fiala, what they're losing is the first overall pick, as we said, and Brock Faber. The loss of Faber. We can not spec- the first overall pick. They're, they're oh, excuse own, me, uh, first round first pick. Round. Yeah. First round, not first overall. We can we can speculate on the whole Faber contract thing, right? Like there was a lot of smoke to that, or there was at least speculation that because he didn't, he elected to go back to college, that it might be difficult for the Kings to sign him. Uh, before his before his rights were up. That's all speculation. The bottom line is the Kings are loaded on, on right-handed defensemen, right. right defensemen prospects. So the main thing for me is the Kings make this trade and they only give up one piece out of their deep prospect pool, which was insane. Because when we were talking mm-hmm. about the Brincap, Pasternak, all these other things, you were talking about multiple pieces mm-hmm. from your prospect pool going the other way in this case the kings only lose one and obviously the first round pick so i love the like i love the trade i love what the kings gave up i love what they gave it up for yeah i i think it's a completely fair trade from the king's perspective i'm honestly a little surprised minnesota um didn't get more um with the understanding that clearly the other teams knew that they were up against the cap crunch and they had to move someone. But still, I imagine there was a pretty wide market for a guy like Fiala coming off the year he's coming off of. And when you look at those submetrics, right, like most of his five-on-five play without Kaprizov. So it's not like someone else is boosting his offense. He's, he's generating a lot on his own. Consistent. Across the three years he's been in Minnesota, the numbers have been better, but the metrics have all been very, very consistent. His his war numbers, wins above replacement numbers, consistently better. So this isn't, yes, you can look at it and a lot of people, you know, I don't know what their perspective is. A lot of people are jumping at it and going, oh, mediocre player, had a breakout year, gets paid, you know, that kind of narrative. But it's like, it's it's not accurate. It's just not accurate. Like, He's been the same player he's always been, and the results are are progressing just like you would expect the, the player to progress as he's approaching his prime. Now, where is his ceiling on the Kings versus where it is on Minnesota? 
that's always a different question. The Kings play a very different style of game than Minnesota does. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is kind of a signal of a shift in play style, because now you're seeing them kind of like gravitating a little bit more towards these rush players. You know, you bring in Arvidsson, there's clearly intent there. Kempe, very much successful as a rush player. Fiala, clearly one-on-one, five-on-five rush play. Um, I feel like they're trying to, and I imagine, you know, McClellan is part of this conversation. I feel like they're trying to transition a little bit more into that kind of team potentially rather than a slow it down, cycle, 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 dirty, grimy goals, high to low, you know, point shots, rebound kind of game. Um, I, I have to believe that because otherwise you don't bring in a guy like Fiala if you're still looking to, to get grimy. Like last time we talked about a guy like you, you were talking about Tyler Bertuzzi, right? Because Tyler Bertuzzi fits a bit more into what you would consider that traditional Kings offensive method. There couldn't be a more different player in my mind than Kevin Fiala to, to how the Kings offense has been traditionally over the last decade or so. I think it speaks more to the Kings wanting to open up one specific part of their game, which is their transition game. I think Mm -hmm. there is, I think you need a player. The thing about Fiala is that yes, on in transition, he can be deadly, right? Like he has the speed, he has the finishing ability, he has the hands to make any transition play a dangerous one. But I also think he's the type of player that, you know, not every, offensive rush is going to be an outnumbered attack or you're not going to have transition all the time. Sometimes you're going to have to dump it in. We all know this. You're going to have to establish your forecheck, get possession of the puck, and then go to work on the cycle. He can do all those things. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. I think he's, you look at a player like that, you're like, well, you know, he's a speedy player. So, you know, does this change the identity of the team? In my opinion, it doesn't because he does the things that Arvidsson does. Like, Arvidsson is a good four-checker. Arvidsson mm-hmm. can play the cycle game well, but Arvidsson is also dangerous in one-on-one situations. He's he's also good on the rush. So I think if I'm seeing something here is that is that the Kings want to get the puck up ice as fast as Faster. Possible. Yeah, I agree with that. And I 100% agree with that. If you're going to do that, you're going to need the horses to do it because you got Kempe now, you got Fiala, you got Arvidsson, you got more. Now you're getting the puck up ice but you know if you can't and if there's a good forecheck by the opposition established and you have to kind of play chess instead of i don't know what the other game would be but if you're gonna have to dump it in and get people in on the forecheck fiala has good work ethic he's not even though his defensive metrics are not great and he's not known as a defensive player he still works hard and i think he's he's still willing to get his nose dirty and he's still willing to forecheck and force turnovers. So I don't think it's a change in philosophy. I think it's just a fit in what they've been trying to do mm-hmm. and fits with the steps they took last season. And that's in, in the more in the neutral zone than anything. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's that's probably fair. Um you bring up an interesting point because obviously top line left wing is is where you imagine he's going to play. Just Maybe. like many others who, yeah, exactly. I was about to say, yeah. just like many others who you've hoped would fill that slot, but I mean, that's that's obviously the the, the goal here. You wonder how much this is actually going to 
helped Kempi's game in my mind because it used to be that Kempi was the guy, right? Like Kempi was who you were looking for to lead the rush, you know, do something one-on-one potentially, um, push the defenseman back, force them to backpedal a little bit. But now you've actually got a guy who's a bigger threat than Kempi and Kempi himself coming off of a 35-goal season. I, I do wonder how those two are going to play off of each other. And interestingly, how does Kopitar kind of hang? My my Again, my mental vision is that Kopi's job is going to be kind of springing these guys and then catching up as an F3 to whatever they may have generated off of the rush. And then if, if a cycle needs to be set up, okay, then that's when Kopi kind of goes to work. Or if there's a little garbage to kind of get picked up, Kopi's the guy kind of sweeping in undetected and, and cleaning up a little bit. Um, at least that's, that's how I envision things kind of going in my head. Um, well, another, another thing, and this is just the, one kind of breakout. If you have those two guys fly the zone, Mm-hmm. And and flying the zone means basically going to the far blue line yeah. without the puck. Yeah, the D has to respect them to the point where they'll be right up on them. So that opens up the entire neutral zone in right. theory for a guy like Kopitar to get easy entries. Right, like if the D gets it to Kopitar and those guys are have backed up the D all the way to the blue line, the neutral zone's open. Kopi's going to get some easy entries. Um, and even our D is going to be able to skate it now. I think that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so hockey's such a complicated game that like every second things can change. So it's hard to pinpoint all the all the ways these guys can help, but or Fiala specifically because we're talking about him. But I assure you, it's multiple ways and it's multi layered. Uh, how the Kings game can can see a big bump offensively next season, and the defensive liability thing. I I could could not give a shit yeah. oh, that no, this I don't guy care is a defense you, you're we have the kings have down the middle the two not the two best but two of the best two-way forwards in the game right now i i don't care if he's gonna whatever he's gonna cheat let him cheat we got kopitar you got the no um these are angel players he's still gonna do his job in the zone fiala is he's not like he's just going to be standing at the far blue line the entire time and be like all right guys whenever you're ready just send it my way you know this isn't beer league hockey so when someone says he's a defensive liability like you have to understand what that means at the nhl level these guys aren't pylons no you know the worst defenseman in the nhl is not a pylon that's just going to get skated around so he'll, he'll do the job but the most important thing he's he's going to be paired with a center that is going to be down low doing the heavy lifting for him defensively and causing the turnovers that the team needs in order to spring these guys in transition. That's, and that, that's, that's why I don't care. Like all these, well, but you know, defensively, it's like, dude, I don't care. I, I could care less defensively. Yeah. I mean, he makes up for it. He makes up for it in other ways. I mean, ultimately the goal here is to win games, right? And the Kings, were not winning games because they could not score goals because they were generating good puck position five on five, but that wasn't actually turning into goals. And he's a guy who scores goals. He's a guy who generates high danger five on five chances, which then turn into goals. So that's what they were missing. That's what they addressed. We've been we've been worried about the defensive side of the puck for a Enough. decade. 
Yeah. Um, legit scoring winger for two question marks. That's isn't that That's how you could wrap simple. it up? Like Brock simple. Faber certainly has a high pedigree, but you just don't know. You don't know what his ceiling is. A lot of people. Will does, tell does it even matter? Does it even matter for the Kings and where they are right now? No, it does not. And and number nineteen overall, just might as well. What is, it's like a lottery ticket at that point, right? Like yeah, you're just taking a flyer on someone, and and you're hoping something comes to it. But when you have the deepest prospect pool in the league, it just doesn't matter at this point anymore, in my opinion. Um, what are the odds number nineteen overall is going to become Kevin Fiala? Exactly. Or what is the odds? Such that, a long what are the shot, odds, dude. Such what are the odds that shot. number nineteen overall is going to be any better than several of the prospects that you have? Like that's that's the problem that the Kings are running up against now, which is a good problem. Again, is you have this wealth of players in your pipeline. You have prospect upon prospect upon prospect that you've drafted in the top two rounds, and they're not cracking the lineup. For whatever your reasons are, either there's no room, there's no opportunities, or whatever it might be, the fact is you don't have room for these guys in your lineup. And to me, the Kings are very much signaling now with where their top six is. And in fact, probably nine of their 12 forwards, if not more of them, pretty well locked in, that they are not going to sit around waiting for these prospects to turn into something. I think obviously the hope is still that your your big your blue chip guys, your Byfield, your Kaliev, and your your Brent Clark are still going to pan out. But look at what they're expecting them to do realistically with the contracts that these guys have and the age that these guys are. You're hoping basically that Quinton Byfield shows you enough to be your one C within the next two years, roughly. And you're maybe hoping Brant Clark, once he gets into the league, shows you enough within the next three years to show you that he can be a top-pairing defenseman. Everyone else, where are they going to play? If, if, Art, if Artie Kaliev comes around and scores 30 goals next season, somehow, where are you going to stick him? <laughs> you've, you've got, you've got you've top lines locked up. Certainly, Trevor Moore could take a step back. That's a possibility. And maybe you're thinking that Arvidsson, you know, fades into fades away in the next couple of years, and that's where Kaliev slots in, right? But all of these are still question marks, and these guys are much, much better pedigree than anyone you would have gotten at the number 19 overall pick. And you're still not sure what you're going to get with these guys or when you're going to get it. And to me, when you make trades for... Fiala, when you bring in Arvidsson, when you sign to know, you're sending a signal to your team and to the fans that we're not, this isn't necessarily a full wait until every one of our prospects blossom into stars kind of rebuild. We're going for it. And hopefully these prospects catch up. Agreed. I think <clears throat> last episode we talked about how the team kind of has to decide what they're doing this next season. We talked about, would it be okay if they missed the playoffs? That's how, mm -hmm. that's kind of how far we took that. Now, now it would not be. <laughs> now the answer is very clear that the expectations are even higher for this right. team. They are now, 
expected to make the playoffs and and possibly take the next step when they're in the playoffs. So this is a this is a ballsy move. It, it's not it's a risk, but it's like the kind of risk that we've been waiting for two years for this trade. If I really want to break it down, right. so when the Kings like they've been stockpiling right prospects. I think for two years we've been talking about at some point this trade this trade is going to happen or a trade like this is going to happen. This is what most everyone who covers the team has been talking about. Everyone who does a podcast has probably mentioned is that at some point you're going to have to trade blue chip-ish prospects or high-end prospects for the right-aged players to come in and join this group and th- here we are this is it like i'm not saying this is it as in this was the big move and everything's in place now but this is the trade i think we've all kind of been waiting for and it cost us a lot less than i thought it would if i'm being totally honest because in those hypothetical situations i think it was we were always talking about packages right like mm-hmm. who do you package for this player what's the three, four piece package, like for the uh, Brinkat, like what's the package? We we're talking about like three, four pieces, but turns out it was only two pieces and now the Kings still have room to make some moves. And I think they have to make some moves because now you're looking at with this contract coming in, I think you're looking at 11 million in cap space for the Kings. Yeah. Almost, almost 12, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <clears throat> Half of that's going to Kempe. Yep. And then you have your RFAs you need to sign. So blink once and all of a sudden you're kind of up against it a little bit. Right. So it's going to be interesting. Everything I've read today is the Kings aren't done. That's that's pretty much how I interpret it as well. And again, if you kind of look at who they have, um, this more or less bumps I follow down to like a fourth, uh, a third line player role, uh, ostensibly with Byfield at center there. And then, I don't know, I guess Kaliev or, or Grunstrom, depending on what whatever combination of, I think you, you just look at it as two groups of six in my mind, right? Like Kopitar, Kempe, Fiala, Moore, Arvidsson, Dano are your top six. And your bottom six are Byfield, Kalia, Grunstrom, Lazat, uh, Lemieux, um, Kupari, some random combination of those guys with a couple extras in there, right? You're still looking, you're still not sure what you're doing with Velarde. You're still not totally sure what you're doing with Leah Sanderson. Athanasiu obviously gone at this point. Um, RFA-wise on the defense, you still have Mikey Anderson, you still have Sean Dursey to sign, and you potentially still have one of those UFA guys, Molly Mata, Edler, one of those, you know, uh, elder statesmen to kind of bring in veteran kind of setup there. So um, not only are you kind of up against it, but maybe you're you're overpaying a guy like I follow for the role that he's filling, you know, and... And he's a young enough player who's done enough at this point in the NHL where maybe he, he does have some value in a trade as a, as a true roster player. So you always hear that kind of this like classic pick prospect roster player, right, right, you know, right. three piece combo 
so to speak, your, you know, your burger, fries and Coke combo. <laughs> um, and so maybe he's part of that. You know, I, I, I do think that there's, that they're not done yet. I think they realized number one, what their cap situation is. And number two, where their areas of need still are, which probably on the defensive side of the puck. Sure. Um, and number three, they realized that they're still in a tough division. They still have to play against Edmonton, Vancouver, Vegas, and Fiala certainly helps. But if you have multiple reasons to maybe make another trade, you certainly have plenty of room to do that. Again, without digging too deep in your cupboard, I mean, you, you really don't have to lose too much to get the things you need. And the I follow thing is truly fascinating for me because when you start kind of armchair GMing or coaching or whatever, and you're putting your fan lines together, I think everyone puts Fiala on top, keeps the second line together. And now you're looking at I follow on, on line three. And it, it, it is a very interesting kind of situation. And I, at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if they trade Alex Iafalo. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's in a package for a defenseman. Because at this point, like you mentioned, I, I do not see them acquiring any more forwards at this point. Mm-hmm. It would be stunning to me if they went out. And first of all, the cap space, right, is, is a big issue. Like, you, 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 where are you going to dip into UFA? Are you going to dip into UFA for a fourth-line kind of player? Um, everyone's talking about Nick Delorier for some reason. I don't <laughs> couldn't tell you but everyone apparently is very enamored with this guy but that's just an example right like if if you're still gonna have to give you're still gonna have to take salary off the books to get a player like that you're gonna have to take salary off the books if let's say again we're gonna bring this name up if you're gonna go get chicken you gotta move money the other way there's mm-hmm. absolutely no way around it anymore right so if that is the plan i think you look up and down the roster and Alex Iafalo sticks out like a sore thumb with the success of that second line. I think that's what it comes down to. If you're going to keep that second line together, then Iafalo is going to play on the third line. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes because you're not putting Fiala on, on, the, on the third line. You didn't pay him $8 million to play with, with all due respect, Quentin Byfield. Right now, not right Quentin now. Byfield two years from now. Right. And, and you're right he's he has the value i think he has built himself up to be a middle six forward for any team i think he could play on any team and i think there would be teams who would be interested in him if one of the pieces they want back like you mentioned is a, is a roster player mm-hmm. if in that trade arizona wants a prospect a roster player and i don't know a couple of picks very easy to uh, slot alex i follow right there in that package. And I don't think it would be unattractive. No. And I don't think the Kings would be losing much in doing that. Like, I, I think that's what it comes down to. I'm not saying that they have to trade IFLO or that I want them to trade IFLO. I'm just looking at things from a realistic perspective, from a position of need, from a value as a player and from a generally speaking, Again, what teams ask for, like you bring up, I feel like young or at his prime roster player seems to be one of like the key pieces that's always requested. And there's no one else that I see on this roster 
that kind of fits that role, save for maybe, you know, like maybe Sean Walker, if they decide that they're going to do that. But I, I just don't see them doing that. Everything I've kind of heard is that they, they, they want Walker back. They want Walker to kind of be who he was before second pairing, a little more experience, you know, defenseman over there. And that makes sense. And if that is the plan, then I don't expect Mata or Edler to be back. Right. Maybe Mata on a very kind of veteran minimum style contract. Yeah. Or or something very cheap just as a seventh. But at that point, if you're keeping him for experience, I think that offsets your need to have like kind of a veteran presence on the line. Now you have Dowdy, you have Walker, and you, you know, Anderson's pretty much carries himself like a vet at at this point but again but that's another logjam at d man because you got you got jersey and again the looming question of brand clark like is he mm-hmm. going to make this team is he going to be on the opening night roster and if he is you gotta <laughs> that's another person you got to make room for because it's getting pretty crowded back there now yeah and, and, and again none of these not all of these trades have to happen in the next two weeks but it just tends to be that that's when all the big deals kind of kind of go down you know I, I think coaches and organizations like to know what their roster is well before they go into training camp rather than after they've made their cuts then they suddenly you know make these changes um it's just i i just look at the roster up and down and i realize injuries happen and i realize guys come up and down but um knowing that some of their prospects are on the older side, they would have to clear waivers every time you try to send them down. If that's what you decide to do. Um, to me, it seems logical that the Kings have maybe one more move in for multiple of their pieces for one more thing of someone else. And that saves them, um, from a cap crunch situation, it also saves them from a roster crunch, questionable situation. Um, which again, yes, it might be nice from a organizational point of view to know you have like three or four guys you can call up at any point in time. But I also think you're kind of burning runway with with some of these guys. You know, like you're, you're losing their value or what they could bring to your organization in another form just to kind of keep them in the cupboard and be like, okay, maybe we'll need you if, if so-and-so <laughs> breaks a leg. Right. And, it, and the funny part is they needed, <laughs> they needed a lot of those guys. I know. This I know. Last season. So that's something to also keep in mind. But again, there's just, there's just so many of them. There is. Think, and and I again, the person I always okay. think of, the person I'm always thinking of in these scenarios is Gabe Velarde. Right, like, what what did it take for that guy to get called up after everyone else went down? I don't know how much more of a signal you can send to a player that he's no longer at the at the level that he used to be in your mind. I don't think I'm being harsh when I when I interpret that. I don't think anyone could judge me for overreading what's going on there. But I I don't see the Kings as high on Velarde anymore as they used to be. 
Was that fair to say, you think? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, you could you could see it on his face. You could mm-hmm. see it on the coach's face. You could see it in, in body language. You could see it everywhere. Ice time, you name it. I mean, right. he went down to the AHL and he did, I think, what he could do as a 21-year-old playing pro hockey. I don't know, like, what's the next level for him? In order to get an to get an automatic call up or get a longer look or get played in the playoffs, I don't know what else he could do in the minor league. So they and, have and to he's make not a, waiver exempt anymore, right? So if they they send have him to make down, a like, decision on him, yeah, this season. So it'll, it's gonna suck because you're so hyped for him. But I think say la vie, you know, like it's just that the things haven't quite played out the way you want it to. Um, I guess it's important to note that of the forwards, the three forwards who are waiver exempt are Byfield, Kaliev, and Kupari. Right. Every other forward, including the RFAs who have not been signed, are not waiver exempt. So if you sign these RFAs and you decide you're going to cut them in camp and send them down to Ontario, they're going to have to clear. They have to clear waivers. And that is a unenviable position to be in with your what was he taking 11th overall or something (laughs) with an 11th overall draft pick in Gabe Velarde yeah he's gonna get claimed I mean easily come on easily um I think a lot of them will get claimed you who you wouldn't take Jared Anderson Dolan you wouldn't claim Jared yeah I I would that's it that's Again, it just depends on what the other teams have at that moment, I guess. But yeah, I agree with you. This is this is the problem with having a, a a stacked pipeline. The other teams know you have a stacked pipeline. The other teams know that you've been developing these guys, and they're they're ripe for the picking. On the defensive side, Bjornfoot and Spence; those are the only guys who are who are waiver exempt. And I think if if Walker is going to play and Jersey's going to stay, then I think you're probably looking at them starting in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Toby as a seven, but I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. I mean, he's 21. Spence yeah. is 21. They're both very yeah. young. So these are, I mean, these are, this is the calculus of, of building a team in the off season that I think they have to consider, you know, um, thus far they have made, a significant addition with not a very significant subtraction. But I think they still have lots of room here to to make some additions and potentially do some subtractions to to not lose some players for nothing. And that's the thing, when you make a move like this, you're like we talked about, you're signaling that for all intents and purposes, the quote unquote rebuild is in the past. Mm-hmm. that's the thing like do you are they just going for it now every season is that the mentality is like i mean you have to if you have to then you have to go you have to go and get a, a, a defenseman i think i mean obviously don't force it and maybe it happens next season but i don't know man if you're going for it i don't think there's going to be any more hesitation to me i don't i don't see how bringing on fiala arvidsson and deno all within two seasons doesn't say we're going for it 
you can't be satisfied now with being a playoff team. Anymore. Definitely not. And, no and, way. And if you can't be satisfied by just being a playoff team, there's only one other place that you're trying to go. You're not trying right. to win around. No one builds a team and says, well, we made the playoffs last year. Now let's win around. Yeah. No, I don't think people think that way. I think it's like, hey, we made the playoffs. Now let's go win the, the whole thing. Like that's – and the way the playoffs are set up, it's not impossible. I think every team that gets in has somewhat of a chance. I think last year <laughs> very few would give the Kings a shot because of injuries and whatnot, but they made it. And now I think the next logical step, you might say – the next logical step is, is to go to the second round. But I think the way teams look at it is like, hey, we got a little bit of playoff experience. Now we're trying to make runs. Mm-hmm. Not specifically try to win a round or not specifically, you know, hug each other because we took a team to seven. I think we're trying to make runs now. Yeah. That's what yeah, it comes I, down I, to. I think you're absolutely right. This, this, this last season was the season to give hugs and high fives for, you know, honorable mention. I don't think that flies anymore. I really don't think that does. Not when you're investing this much to bring in players. Not when you've been drafting and drafting and drafting. And you've watched the other teams around you and your conference and your division get better. It's just logically, that's what you have to do. And... I, th- I think that brings you to a crossroads with a lot of these prospects. I think it's, you have to reevaluate and, and cut bait with the ones that you think are not going to be what you need them to be. I agree. I think that that was going to happen anyway at some point, but I think a acquisition, it's been accelerated. yeah, when you make an acquisition like this, now you got to really tighten the screws here and figure out what you are and figure out where you're going. So I agree. And I'm very curious to see what the next move is. And I I truly believe that there is going to be a next move. And I don't know at what level Mm -hmm. I feel like getting a, let's say for the conversation, a a Chikrin seems to add Fiala and a Chikrin in one season is very pie in the sky. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like this, this doesn't happen. That's the vibe I get. Not, like, not to this team anyway. Yeah, I was like, this doesn't happen. Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but maybe something to a lesser degree to solidify the blue line. And we haven't even talked about goaltending. No. Though, even though we talk about it almost every episode, it seems like. <laughs> um, goaltending is something that needs to be figured out as well. There has to be a game plan of sorts with the with, uh, Quick and Peterson, because they're both about to make a lot of money. Quick is already making a lot of money. Cal's about yeah. to see a nice pay increase. And if you're paying him $5 million, we've said this a hundred times, you're going to have to play him like he's making $5 million. At some point, you're going to have to play him like he's making $5 million. Not even getting into how long Jonathan Quick has on his contract. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I'm not privy to what handshake agreements or other things they might have with quick where if his next deal runs out maybe he wants to come back on a on a lower price deal maybe he wants to go to new york and you know play out his childhood fantasy of being a rangers goaltender i don't know it's 
these are lingering questions that need to be answered over the next season. And some of them have to be answered sooner rather than later, I think. Let me ask you this. Do you think they would go outside of the organization for a goaltender at this point? Like a veteran goaltender? Maybe. Maybe. The thing with goalies is no one's giving them away. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, there's, no, just, there's not as many of them. Yeah, man. I mean, no one's going to give you a 25-year-old goaltender with potential. It, yeah. Right? Like, no one's going to give you a Kevin Fiala-level goaltender. But I also think that Colorado obviously winning the cup um, shows you that you don't necessarily need a, a blue chip goaltender to win anymore. You just have to build a hell of a team in you front just need of them. To, you just need to have Colorado in front yeah. of them. Yeah, exactly. Easy. I know. I know. But that's, that's again, that's where it comes back to me about giving Cal a chance, you know? You look at Darcy Kemper bounced around like how many four different organizations before finally was given the reins as like a true number one goaltender and whoever who was who was talking about Darcy Kemper even in like the top twenty of goaltenders nobody before he played for the Kings no one was even after he played for the Kings well then he went to he went to Phoenix and did mm -hmm. a decent job in Phoenix you know he was in Minnesota before he came to us I think. This is what I'm talking about. So, like, to me, in my mind, I, I don't see anything that leads me to believe that Cal Peterson can't be a starter in this league to the level of a guy like Darcy Kemper or even Jack Campbell in Toronto. Like, how many real stud number one goaltenders are there anymore in the league? Probably 10-ish. Maybe less. Maybe maybe even less. Yeah. Like I'm talking guys who start sixty games a season. It just doesn't it doesn't exist anymore. No. No, you're right. So why are we so fixated on this idea that like if Cal can't play sixty games a season, then then we're not even gonna play him, you know, thirty five games a season or or fifty games a season. Nothing in my mind for the limited number of games that I have seen Cal Peterson play has shown me that he can't be 50 game a season, 55 game a season goaltender. You can win cups with goalies like that. You don't need Jonathan Quick playing 72 games a season anymore to win a cup. So why, why bother looking outside the organization? Why even talk about all those things? I think you have two capable goaltenders ease the transition, let Cal show him what he's got. And if Quick wants to come back on a, you know, $2 million a year salary or something like that after he's done with this one, then great. You know, they don't have a, a, a Jesper Wallstead in their, in their cupboard. They don't have a, they've never drafted a guy like Vasilevsky. They're hoping that maybe another one of these like third round pick or free agent goalie signings are going to turn into a true number one goaltender. That's the approach that the Kings have kind of taken for their goaltending now. There isn't even a goaltending prospect ranked in the top 60 yeah. for, for this draft. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even know who they would go after. That's 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 how little I've I've thought about like 
the Kings bringing in a goaltender from outside the organization. I don't even know who they would bring in. In fact, for the last five years, the Kings have been the one producing goaltenders for other teams. Speaking of Darcy Kemper, mm-hmm. buried under all this news is the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. I know. It's kind of and good for them. I think we, we both predicted they would be in the cup final, did we not? Not that that's yeah. a huge, not that that was a, a reach no. or anything. No, pretty sure everyone did. Probably everyone had Florida, Colorado in the final. Everyone's bracket. Right. Um, what a great series. I have so much respect for the Tampa Bay Lightning, even though they, John Cooper cried in front of the world <laughs> after one of their games. I have a lot of respect for that man, too, so I was disappointed to see that, but he rebounded nicely the next day. Yeah. Um, I thought I was the, – the player I was probably most impressed with was Eric Chernak in that entire series. Mm. I have no idea – how that man is walking or how he walked around in the locker room area from the bus to the airplanes. I don't know, because all he did was eat pucks all series. And maybe he took a flatbed with uh, Val Nichushkin. Yeah, maybe, uh, his foot was broken. Yeah. He was playing with a broken foot, Yep. but I was so impressed with Tampa just the champion goes out on their back, bloodied, and like with nothing else left to give. Like that whole visual. That's who they were, man. They really, they were not resting on their two cup laurels at all. Yeah. And, and they wanted, and they gave it their all, and they just got beat by a younger, hungrier, better team. And I gave all those comparisons to when the Oilers beat the Islanders and. It very much felt like that. It mm-hmm. very, very much felt like that. When Gretzky and them beat Trotchy, Bossy, Potman, Billy Smith, where they were just like, all right, we got nothing left in the tank. We're trying, yeah. but at, you know, we can't overcome nature at this point. Was that the was that the story I forget now, where the year prior to that they had played and and Gretzky and them or someone it was walked by the Islanders locker room and they just looked exhausted they looked like they had nothing left that's the story yeah and in that moment Wayne Gretzky and them realize what it took to win that's the first thing I thought of and you look at Colorado man they're not they're going to be good for a long time we've said this for a while so it really did feel like a passing of the torch that you don't see in modern sports that much anymore Mm -hmm. so it was nice to see Happy for Kale McCarr. He's good. <laughs> Norris Consmite, I think only the third defenseman to ever do it. Tremendous. I believe the other names are Bobby Orr and Nicholas Lidstrom. I got I've a, heard of them. You got to fact check me on that. Uh, but I in believe the same season? In the same season. Hmm. Okay, let's take a look here. Um, can I – did you read uh, Greg Wyshynski's uh, – profile of Nathan McKinnon. I did not. I was kind of making so the rounds. Is it behind a paywall? No, no, actually it wasn't. Hey. Um, yeah. Um, it, it basically kind of details and goes into this persona of 
of Nathan McKinnon, you know, very diligent, very yeah, quinoa. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Quinoa Nate. Exactly, um, but interestingly, it kind of goes into. It almost paints him in a very, uh, and this has been brought up before. I think he Nikita Zadorov had had an interview in some Russian newspaper and made comparisons to him being like Jordan after the last yeah. dance. Um, but it kind of builds on that. It gets more quotes from different players, more stories from different players. And everyone's really trying hard to be like complimentary of him and be like, yeah, like he'll come to you, he'll come at you and like tell you you're fat for eating like candy, but he means well, you know, like <laughs> it, what a leader. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. It totally has that vibe, but it like it, you do get that. You do get that same kind of like sociopath, mamba mentality kind of vibe from all of the stories and you had two you had two camps of people like there was there was a solid group of people that were like this is what's wrong with sports this is like toxic it creates a toxic atmosphere and then that trickles down to like to the others and then you had a whole other group of people going but this is what it takes to win like he basically pulled and pulled and pulled and got everyone on a straight line with him about what it took to win. And that's why they finally won. So the ends justify the means kind of thing, you know? Which side and do you uh, fall I, on? I, 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 guy I, I, who's I wearing a Michael Jordan shirt right now? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, all I can say is that in my own life, um, I have found that... Uh, the times that I have been the most successful are the times when I have really just stopped caring so much about who I offend or, or who I upset to get to where I need to be. Obviously I'm not like murdering people and, you know, sabotaging necessarily or anything like that. But I, when I, when I stop considering necessarily like is this going to hurt this person's feelings if i do this or you know there's only so many times i feel like i can miss it something before finally i have to stop caring what anyone else thinks and focus on getting what it is that i want and that's usually when i finally get it and so if i'm a 10 million dollar a year player like nathan mckinn is going to be or my goal is to go out and be the best freaking player i can be and to win a big silver trophy and I've tried being nice. I've tried being gentle. I've tried being different kinds of players or different kinds of coaches. And I'm realizing it's not getting me there. Then, yeah, I think that's when you shift your approach a little bit and you follow in the footsteps of some other people who have, who have succeeded because you've tried every other way and it hasn't worked. I don't think that makes you a terrible person or an asshole necessarily. I think that makes you a, you know, professional in some ways. Maybe some people don't like it, but I also think that at the end of the day, these guys are going to look back at him and be like, he's a big reason why I have his ring on my finger. You know what I mean? And I think, I think, I don't think it's fair to take 
who they are as professionals or who they are when they come to the rink or who they are in the law in, in that type of setting and automatically draw a line and say, Oh, this is the kind of person they are. Right. I think, I think, I think there's a very separate line there for a lot of these guys. I agree. I fall on that side too, especially when it comes to sports and it's not even, um, it's not even a, you know, let me pull these guys up to my level or like, I'm going to drag them across the finish line thing. I think it comes down to if I'm working the hardest, if I'm the hardest working player on this team, then I have the right to go to anybody and challenge them to outwork me or at least work to my level. That's the way I feel. And, and when I'm, you know, dealing with young athletes, especially as they get like to the teenage years, I, I always let them know that they have the green light, that if they're out there working and they feel that one of their teammates isn't focused or isn't working or is messing around, yada, yada, that they should absolutely walk up to them, skate up to them, be like, you need to get your shit together now because I'm out here doing X, Y, and Z and focusing so so that we could all have success. And that's what I expect of you. That part of it, I completely understand yeah. and agree with. I think that's normal. I think that's, of course, the, the message needs to be human being to human being. You can't just go be like, you're a piece of shit. And you know, yeah. the way the message is conveyed is very important. And I'm sure I highly, you know, if Nathan McKinnon's going and saying, you're fat, Maybe it's because he's tried a hundred times to be like, hey, man, maybe, you know, you should do this or maybe, you know, this is what I do. It works for me. It might work for you. You know, I suspect it took him a long time to get to this point where he could go walk up to someone and be like, get your shit together. And you got to earn that, by the way, you, you know. Absolutely. And that's the if thing. If Nathan McKinnon, he, a rookie, comes in and says that, who's going right, to listen right. to him, and right? Right. He has earned it, and I think Michael Jordan earned it, and I think Kobe Bryant earned it, and all these other sociopaths in sports have <laughs> earned it to a certain point. Like, no one's going to, you know, I don't think right now Quentin Byfield can walk up to Andre Kopitar and be like, get your shit together, bud. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, and I think that's that's where it comes from. I think it comes from a point of view of – he works really, really hard to be the kind of player he is, right? And he knows that this is what it's taken me to get to this point. And so it bothers him when he's seeing other people not working as hard. Right. I, I totally get that. I totally get that. Especially because if he perceives it as that person not working as hard is dragging me back from achieving the goal that I want to achieve. I, I don't know how you can take that as any more than that or draw it out as like toxic masculinity of sports and, and all these other things. Like I, I think sports are way better off in a lot of ways than they have been over the last 30 or 40 years. Certainly not perfect as all the scandals involving you know, hockey Canada and the world juniors and all those things um, clearly show, but to me, this is not this is not an indicator of of anything like that. I don't think I don't think Nathan McKinnon telling his teammates that they're fat and they shouldn't eat donuts and chocolate and all these other things and they should focus on being healthy professional athletes automatically equals oh 
they're, you know, they're going to be, I don't know, there's going to be some sort of a team rape scandal <laughs> because of right. this, you know, like it, it's not the same. It's nowhere near the same in my mind. No. And it should never be brought up in the same breath. That's for sure. And, and that's kind of the, that's kind of what I was seeing a lot of was like, this is just like the Blackhawk scandal and them valuing like going after the cup as more important than acknowledging this person's feelings. I'm like, that is such a leap. That is such a leap to start making those parallels. Agreed. That's crazy. I can't believe people actually made dude, that compare. It was fucking wild. Dude. I mean, this is this is come on. It's the world of Twitter we're talking about here. Like they're the worst place in the world. <laughs> in some, it's the worst goddamn place in the world. <laughs> I'm I, the stuff I've read. Just about something as simple as a movie, <laughs> like a movie. Just fucking watch it. If you don't like it, move on. But. <laughs> And people will say, oh, it's just Twitter. Why are you taking it so seriously? Imagine being a person who reads negative shit every day. Yeah. Hundreds of times a day. To me, that's more toxic than, than anything Nathan McKinnon tells you dude, about putting down the ho-hos. We're on Twitter, and we love the people who follow us. And we have, we still have some people who will throw shit our way about something we said like three years ago. <laughs> For whatever joy that brings them in their lives. <laughs> right. Some fucking clown in a basement like just waiting for us to tweet something so they they could tweet back and be like oh yeah you said this like three years ago like (laughs) good man good for you anyway we're on twitter guys (laughs) (laughs) excellent segue excellent segue (laughs) follow us on twitter we'll interact Uh, with you you. anything uh, else on the fiala thing like just other than we're excited uh no, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely like, I, I, I think it's a win, man. I, I don't see how this is anything but a win. I think the contract is, is a good value. I don't think that's how much Kempe's going to get. I don't think Kempe has shown the year to year production quite yet. Um, but I think, I think the deal's a, a market value for a guy of what he's produced and, and where he projects out to be. And I like that it's not a full, that it's only a few years of a full no move. And then it goes into a modified. Yeah. I think that's, that's real smart. And you're also buying prime years. Yes. So you're going to have to play, you're going to have to pay a premium to buy his prime UFA years. So I'm personally, I'm excited. Uh, I'm also excited about what could come. And I'm very excited to see what this roster looks like opening night. Yeah. It's. We talked about how important this off season was. It's it started out. This is this is exactly a lot of noise. This is exactly what you want to see. This is yeah. Yeah. in my mind. This is like on the level of the Mike Richards, the Jeff Carter trades. Like these are, you know, we're coming. Yeah. And I joked last episode that. We were talking all these names, we were throwing all these things out, and I didn't think anything was going to happen. Happy to be wrong. So happy to be wrong. Don't think you were joking. <laughs> it's just, it's how you've been trained. It's, it's Pavlovian. Off season, nothing. Yep. It's been a while. It's the first time the Kings haven't had a first round pick since 2016. 
pretty wild, man. It's been a while. I should have known when they when last year they traded all those draft picks to just get three guys that <laughs> things were going to be different this time around. With that being said, it's episode 87. We're getting close to 100, bud. Can't wait. I wonder who we should dedicate number 99 to as a special number. I don't know. Were, did any kings wear number 99? Eh, I'll, I'll look it up. I can't remember all these things. It's your job, not mine. Uh, but it is episode 87. Correct. And I, for the life of me, can't think of a single player who has worn that now legendary number, but before 2005, what I would call a stupid number that Donald, <laughs> Donald Brashear wore. That's, that's how I knew 87. Well, lucky for you, there has not been. Unless you consider that that legendary player once wore a Kings jersey. One time in prospect camp, that's right. Amazing. I do so remember technically, that. Technically, remember that. technically, I think he had a puku shell necklace and everything. <laughs> he <It> was, did. Just <laughs> uh, killing it. For anyone not following, Sidney Crosby, I think, in, because there was a lockout in 04. And his agent was Pat Brisson, right? Or CAA or whatever. I think it was Brisson. Was actually a part of King's developmental camp. Sid the Kid wore the purple, black, silver, and glitter of the LA Kings. It's You don't even have to look that far. Just seriously, Google LA Kings Sidney Crosby, and you will find a photo of him and Jack Johnson, and I think that's Wayne Simmons, all rocking purple shield LA Kings jerseys. That's right. With his, with his sick necklace. <laughs> Very happy for Jack Johnson, by the way. Quick shout out, oh, yeah. Stanley Cup champion. He was Good so happy. Him. He was just yelling at the top of his lungs. He, him, him, and Eric Johnson were having like, <laughs> we're having the time. And they're still having a time. I hope. I hope so. But screw it. This is the Sidney Crosby episode because when there is no number eighty-seven on the team, we go to the greatest number eighty-seven, and it kind of ties in with Nathan McKinnon because Nathan McKinnon. And Sidney Crosby are tight, and there's a story that Nathan McKinnon, before when they checked into their room for Game Six, his hotel number was seventeen eighty seven, I believe, something like that. Oh, yeah, and he in the post game he said, "I knew we were gonna win because there was an eighty seven <laughs> at the end of my room number." Um, he also said that he was the drunkest person at Sidney Crosby's cup party, so he expects the same. From Sid, don't think you're going to get that, Nate. To complete, to be completely fair, how much does it take to get Nathan McKinnon super drunk anymore? Well, if the stories are true, not much. Yeah, exactly. One hard seltzer, the guys. Must have been the low-carb version. Yeah. You want to talk about another guy who, you know, dedication to his craft and focusing on sport and achieving certain levels i think that's why they are as tight as they are i think you know they they both i think they come from the same hometown don't they like yeah they're both from nova scotia i'm yeah. not sure the city but yeah it's the same city i'm sure um so you know i i hope i, I want to hear some stories about sid just walking up to malkin and be like what the hell's wrong with you right <laughs> 
Put the vodka down. That's <laughs> you right. You got work to do. <laughs> Put out the Marlboros and get out there. Yeah. And Why is Gino there a probably, stripper in our locker room? That's right. Gino probably put the cigarette out on, on Sid's jersey. And Sid's like, I think I got through to him. <laughs> All right. So the Sidney Crosby episode, congratulations to the Avalanche. We're coming for you. All right. Until next time, we'll see what, what happens. Follow us on Twitter. Thank you for all the fun interaction today. Hopefully more to come over the uh, next several weeks to months of what should be a very exciting offseason for us all. Um, you can find us pretty much anywhere fine podcasts are curated. Um, yeah. Questions, anything you like, anything you might be interested in us answering over the offseason, uh, certainly shoot it our way. And uh, as always, we will have a list episode this summer. So Ooh. stay tuned to that. Yeah. Ooh. Teaser. I think we took a year off last season. Well, we're, we're, we're bringing it back. Return of the list. <laughs> oh, damn it. You gave away the title. That's not a movie. We can't, <laughs> nope. can't do it. Nope. All right, guys. Thanks very much. See you next time. Go, King, go. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an LA Kings podcast.